0: Hi, I'm David Goforth, pastor of Grace Baptist Church. So glad that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to let you know we're here to help you. If you have any questions, please visit our website, gbcwc.org. And contact us. We'd love to help. We are in the beginning of a series. Well, not the very beginning, but in the early stages of a series called Pondering the Path of Our Feet, looking at how we as Christians should interact with our culture. And what we should think as oftentimes our culture will try to press us into its mold. Romans tells us not to be conformed, not to be molded, not to be pressed into the thinking of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Uh, our, our sinful state, our natural state is to want to follow in with those that are around us. And Ephesians tells us that if we're going to see biblical change, we have to put off the things that are wrong. We have to renew our thinking. We have to put on the things that are right. What we're going to be talking about as as we look through some things, just some things that culturally uh, have become either a part of our culture, widespread in the country, or maybe sometimes some of the things we're going to look at are things that have become part of our Christian culture. And the point of this, and I need you to understand, the point of this is not to set out a rule list of what we are going to do and not do at Grace Baptist Church, Grace Christian School Grace Early Learning Center or Grace Daycare or whatever else. This is for us to understand, hey, we have to enter in. We have to think correctly about this. Because sometimes things sneak in, and when they sneak in, we don't stop. We don't think about it. I've told this story many times about... A little girl who went to her mama and said, Mama, how come you always cut the end of the ham off when you cook it? She said, Well, I think it has something to do with the flavor, but I'm not sure I learned that way from your grandma. Go ask grandma. So the little girl went in and asked grandma. and said, Grandma, why do we cut the ham off? Well, I'm pretty sure it has to do with, you know, the, the keep, keeping the flavor in there. But ask, ask your great-grandma, because she's the one that taught me. And she went to great-grandma and said, Great-grandma, why do we always cut the end of the ham off when we cook it? And great-grandma said, I had a very small stove It wouldn't fit inside. I had to cut the end off to get it to go inside the stove. And so, in, in that particular culture, it became right or it became acceptable to cut off the end of the ham. Nobody ever thought about. You say, "What? Which family is this?" It's a sermon illustration, folks. I I don't know that it actually happened in a family. Okay, so some of you, are, if you're googling right now, what family was it that was so done with? The, but it's a sermon illustration. Okay, here's the reality. Sometimes some things sneak into our culture. Now, this is something that we need to learn how to ponder the path. What is it that God has laid before us, and learn how to interact with these things with biblical mindset now we've been looking at this for a couple of weeks we're going to wrap this up and unless we get some questions here uh, this evening we're going to t- we're talking about the use of alcohol in the christian there used to be a time when here in the united states that uh, anything alcoholic was deemed it was completely unable for a christian to be involved with so much to the point that we even as a culture talk about we talked about unintended consequences this morning talk about unintended consequences i should have mentioned prohibition Boy, we, we got uh, the, the mob started because of that. We got all kinds of stuff that started because of prohibition. And what was prohibition? Prohibition was when enough people said, hey, we think we need to have everybody abide by this law where there's not, no, you're not allowed to drink. Well, Christians have been arguing. Christians have been fighting over that. And we've been looking at some different things. Because what I don't want to do is I don't want to react to our culture. I want to be guided by Scripture. And that's what we're doing. So we've looked at a couple of things, just to reset the table really quickly. We've looked at the fact that wine with an alcoholic type of content, that would, or different alcoholic beverages were part of both the Old Testament and New Testament, and there was a potentiality for drunkenness. So when the Bible is talking about wine, strong drink, it's talking about alcohol that has the ability to get a person drunk. We also covered the fact that universally in scriptures, drunkenness is condemned. Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. Universally, drunkenness is condemned. We also talked about the fact that there were people all throughout history who have abstained. There are some who God asked to abstain and others who chose to abstain. Uh, you have the, uh, the the time in Proverbs when the uh, the writer of Proverbs tells her son, listen, it's not for kings to, to, to be drinking. You have the the order of Aaron the priesthood God tells them no drinking for you you need to be able to give good sound judgment so no drinking at all you have the Nazarite vow that was laid out there and then uh, one I don't know that we talked about necessarily but in the New Testament you actually have Paul telling Timothy stop drinking only water and start taking some wine for your stomach and for your oft infirmities and so obviously if he's being told to stop abstaining what was he doing Okay, so do you follow the logic there? If Paul had to tell him, stop drinking only water and go ahead and drink some wine for your stomach's sake and for your oft-infirmities, we know that that Timothy was also abstaining as well. We also talked last week in in, in detail and went into detail about, I don't know if it was last week, maybe two weeks ago actually, because last week was Mother's Day, right? So two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that Jesus, when he created wine, he actually created wine. We cannot say that Jesus was the first manufacturer of Welch's grape juice that it is the same wine that Paul says in Ephesians, be not drunk with wine. And that's the same word that was used there in, in Jesus' time. Now we did explain that Jesus Christ would never have done anything sinful. And here's where the difficulty is. Okay. Alcoholic beverages are present in scripture. And yet there are some folks that will stand up and say, no, alcohol obviously has to be a sin because of this. And they'll actually, because of their super strong belief that anything alcoholic has to be a sin, they will actually go and try to help scriptures out by reinterpreting scriptures. And that is why there are sermons out there that talk about how Jesus Christ would not have created wine because Jesus would not have sinned and wine is a sin. But understand, Jesus did, the Bible tells us he did, we do not want to stand over the Bible and say, well, we know that it has to be something different than what it says. That's where you get into big danger. And so we looked at that. Then the last thing that we looked at last week, and we have, we're going to finish up this week, the last thing we looked at a couple weeks ago was the difference between biblical alcohol and current alcohol. Why? Well, because, simply because the same word is used does not mean it's the same thing, okay? Okay. The Bible tells us that David danced before the Lord. The type of dancing that David did is nothing like the dancing that you would see in our culture today. Okay? There was no similarity between those two. David was not creating his own music video on an iPhone dancing before the Lord. He was not doing a TikTok before the Lord. Okay, Was he dancing? Yes. What did dancing mean? Dancing meant he was moving his body differently than perambulating through a crowd. Okay, He wasn't just walking. He wasn't just He was dancing, he was moving, it would have been completely different. This is not a message on dancing. I don't know that we are going to have a message on dancing, but the reality is that dancing was different, okay? The idea that washing, okay, the Bible talks about washing and cleansing yourself. We know a lot more about washing today, and we wash completely differently than they washed back in Bible times. And I think most of you are thankful for that, right? Okay? Okay. And so we, we understand while there was washing and there, it's completely different, it's not the same thing. Weddings are completely different. Even, even though the Bible will talk about slaves and slavery, it's a completely different thing than what we think of in this culture when we think of antebellum slavery. And so we looked at alcohol. Now, a couple of things that we talked about we talked about the difference in supply. Okay? The difference in supply, and I don't know if I mentioned this, but supply was often a problem in the ancient world uh, because of a number of different things. Especially in the the Roman world, when they were trying to um, continue to grow, there would be many times when the people in charge would either demand that either vineyards be ripped out or that grain fields be ripped out and vineyards be planted at different times because uh, the supply was much, much different back then. Nowadays, there is not a seasonal time to wine. There's not a seasonal time to um, beverages that, are, that have an alcoholic content. It is, it is freely available. So that's something that's a little bit different. The other thing that we talked about that's different is the strength. And this is, I've actually had some questions about this because people said, Pastor, go forth. I'm pretty sure that there was distillation back in the, so, so I, I said something I think misled a few folks. Listen, distillation in different forms has been around for a long time. But I think I explained things a little bit too quickly, and we ran through it so we didn't understand what I was saying. While distillation was available for different things, and we think that they probably used some type of distillation for, per, for perfumes and some types of medicines, distillation for the purposes of alcohol did not show up until the 800s. Now, this is something where some people stand up and say, well, Pastor, I think that's your opinion. It's not really my opinion. It is standard historical research. Okay? So... It'd be it'd be something akin to me saying, well, steel was not used for skyscrapers until when was steel used? Somebody know? Nineteen twenties, thirties, eighteen somewhere around there. And for someone to say, You mean to tell me they didn't they weren't smart they they weren't smart enough to build with steel before then? I think that's your opinion. It's not really my opinion. It's actually what happened. Okay? Uh, just like if, if 2,000 years from now if somebody were to say, well, they didn't really start driving cars until the 1900s, you can't really have an opinion about that because that's, that, that's the historical fact of when they started driving things like that. Now, as far as alcohol, we, we know that there was a fellow, in fact, a Muslim. Uh, they used to say uh, a long time ago, the first time I researched this, they used to say that there were some monks in medieval Europe that came up with distillation, and then they were usurped by some course, everybody knows that the Chinese did something well before the rest of us. We haven't studied Chinese history. And then they recently uh, have found, and not that recently, but it's it's become much more widely uh, available in documentation that a Muslim in the 800s actually designed something for this express purpose of distilling alcohol. But the purpose of that was not to tell you that there's no distillation back then, and so wine was different. It was to tell you that alcohol was not distilled, and that's what we know from history. There was not a point in that. That had not become used yet. And the alcohol that was used was not the 40 proof, the 80 proof, the 120 proof, the 180 proof, the way that we distill it now, these strong drinks, they, they weren't available back then. And then we went on and we talked about the way that alcohol, that wine and strong drink was actually made. And we talked about some of the, and this, again, this is not a Baptist history These are people from like Pliny the Elder, Plutarch, um, not Baptists, as far as I know, either one of those guys, just reporting, hey, this is how wine was done. Now here's the interesting thing. I don't think that I brought this out, but one of the things that was true about wine back in Roman times was that when they were mixing it with water, often they would also mix it with a certain amount of salt water. Which tells you how good the wine was. Because they were improving it by adding seawater. Is there any drink, any drink that you've ever taken a sip of and gone, you know what this needs? Somebody run down to the coast, get me a gallon of salt water. Well, I, I think I found something. that, <laughs> And that is what, that's what they did. It, it actually, um, uh, one, one source that I looked into... Um, basically said that it was unpalatable uh, because one of the things that they did, and one of the reasons why it was unpalatable is one of the ways that they would let it ferment is they would take the juice and they would stomp on the juice. You all are are familiar with that, right? There was no machinery. So they're stomping on the juice. I want you to remember the current hygiene practices of the day while they're stomping on the juice. They're stomping on this juice. This juice goes in. They put it into terracotta pots that were lined with beeswax, They would bury them in the ground so they wouldn't cook, and they most of the time would leave them open, and they would ferment there. That was normal. Now, they would not use a distillation process. That's what I meant to tell you. They would not use a distillation process in their alcohol brewing at that point in time. There was distillation that was around that was available for different things. They did not use it. On the commercial way, they would do the terracotta pot. At the home, if you had a vineyard, you would have a certain time of year when you would be able to get your grapes. They usually would not crush them by the feet. They would store them, store the actual grapes in terracotta pots until it was time to make the wine. They would crush it and they would make it right then. The big thing that you need to understand is that the typical serving of wine was mixed with water. Significant amounts of water. Plutarch and Pliny and Homer. Homer tells us that it was mixed 20 to 1. Listen, if you took any alcoholic drink today and mixed it with 20 parts water to one part of that drink, I don't don't think you'd have a marketing tool for success there. I don't think you'd have a lot of people that show up and say, wait, that is whatever percent alcohol. Let me have some of that. That's what Homer said. Now, Homer um, Plutarch said, uh, Plutarch, Pliny, we talked about different ways of making, uh, of making alcohol. I don't remember, I don't think Pliny ever act, actually spoke about specific amounts, but eight to one, ten to one. It was considered barbaric to mix it one to one. And actually, I think it was Plutarch that said, if you drank it unmixed, that was basically like drinking poison. Now, here's the interesting thing, is you're starting to hear the word poison being used in medical studies when talking about the effects of alcohol on the body. You're starting to hear that word poison being used, okay? Now, here's the purpose in, in, in stating that. It's not, I am some. I think some folks may be, okay, so Pastor, Grove, you're teaching this, but now you're backing up and you're going back to the old Baptist way of, no. I'm trying to help you understand why Jesus could create something where he could, Support the idea of do not be drunk with wine and still create wine because it was a much, much, much more difficult thing to get drunk with wine. And we gave you a couple of biblical examples from that. We talked about how when the apostles came and they were speaking on the day of Pentecost, you know, one of the first things that people said, they heard people talking in different tongues. Somebody said what? They're drunk. And the answer from Peter was... It's too early. They can't be drunk, which meant it took some time and nobody in the crowd responded with, well, it's too early if they drink that 20 to one, but if they're doing the unmixed, I think they could get there because it just, it was not, it was not a factor. Why am I saying that? Well, because you have to understand what we believe as a church, we have taken the official position of taking the cautious position of abstinence. But I want to make sure you understand what that means. Okay? We do not believe that Jesus was a sinner because Jesus drank wine. The wine that Jesus drank, the wine that Paul drank, the wine that Peter drank, the wine that Paul told Timothy to drink, did it have alcoholic content in it? Yes. Was it possible to get drunk on? Yes. What is easily? No. You had to work at it. And if you say, well, that is two-faced, well, then understand, it's just as two-faced for God to provide somebody with food and tell them not to be gluttonous. Can you be gluttonous with food? Yes. And I would, I would challenge you a couple of times, I would challenge, if, if you're with folks that say, hey, I'm a Christian, I think you ought to, I think you ought to sit down and explain to them, hey, here's my philosophy. If you're, if you're going to drink Bible wine in the Bible way, I, I don't think that it would be a problem. And the thing is, is that what the devil is trying to sell to so many people is that you are missing out. You're, 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 and, and some people are even stand up and saying, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to ask God to forgive me of the sin of abstinence. Because God has not listened. There's a couple of reasons why I boldly say that when we're talking about modern alcohol, we have to treat it differently. And me personally... When we're talking about alcohol, I put it in the same arena and area as many other modern addictive substances. Now, does the Bible give us any instruction about crack? No. Does the Bible give us any instruction about marijuana? No. Does the Bible give us any instruction about smoking meth? It doesn't. Opium? No. No. Oxycodone. So that will tell us anything about oxycodone? Oxycontin. All the other pills that are out there. So what is a Christian to do? That's what I want to look at today. Are you in 1 Corinthians 6? Did I tell you to turn there? So, how do we interact with? Okay? Well, I think we have to do the same thing that we have to do for any other type of addictive substance. The drunkenness is so much more readily available. Again, if somebody comes up to you and says, listen, I drink wine, I mix it 20 parts water, a 20 part, and I mix it with salt water. I I, I don't think they're going to struggle with drunkenness. I don't think they're going to struggle with addiction. That's not the struggle is that somebody says, well, the Bible says that alcohol is a blessing. I'm going to go down and, and, and buy some tequila and praise the Lord for it. Tequila has so much more alcohol in it. The opportunity for drunkenness and the opportunity for addiction is so much more great. So what is a Christian to do? You're in 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to look at a couple things and we're going to be done. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Paul says something that proves he was not an independent Baptist. Look at this first phrase. All things are lawful unto me. No, Paul. He would not have been on the evangelical circuit traveling around. Paul says... God's word does not forbid it, it's lawful. All things. What all, quick word study, what does all things mean? What does lawful mean? Allowed. All things are allowed. What does unto me mean? Okay, Paul is saying all things are lawful. God does not explicitly claim that, and who knows what the next drug to come up with. Paul had not even heard of crack as far as the cocaine you'd heard of cracks in the earth and other things, but not methamphetamines. Paul was not aware of oxycodone. Okay. Paul said, listen, there are things that are not expressly forbidden. They are lawful to me, but he goes through and he gives us some hint of how we deal with them as a Christian. Let's look at it. All things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So there's a couple of things right there. They're lawful, but not necessarily expedient. Lawful, but some have the power to addict. Now go to uh, 1 Corinthians 10. We'll look at another uh, verse that's very similar to this, but it's a little bit different. All things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. This is 1 Corinthians 10 23. I'm sorry, verse 23. All things are lawful, all things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but all things edify not. In other words, not everything builds up. So, what are some basic questions? How are we supposed to interact? Because listen, Christians, it's time we understand that there are some drugs that we're okay with. Right? That's right. How many of you enjoy coffee? Is coffee drug-free? Caffeine. Caffeine is a drug, correct? Should you feel convicted by drinking caffeine? Maybe after we answer these questions. See some of you are going, oh Pastor Go with you, you drink you drink Coke Zero. There we go, getting defensive. Holy Spirit's working already, I can see. Folks, this goes for everything. These are things, does God's word expressly forbid Instagram? No. But these these questions will help you with Instagram. Does God's word expressly forbid Xbox? Does God's word expressly forbid internet? How about Fox News? How about CNN News? I, I thought I'd get a few yeses on that one. You guys are terrible. Yeah, it does. It expressly forbid. That breaks like most of the commandments, Pastor Goforth. No. But there are so many things that we look at. And listen, and the reason why I'm trying to get you to do this is because I want you to strongly believe what you believe. But I also want you to be able to give grace to other Christians that may believe differently. I have met, I have been in the homes of Christians. The culture that they were brought up in, it was very, very. they drank a tiny little glass of red wine every morning. And that was how they did this and this and this. And that's what they did. They measured it out. They, and to stand and point a finger at them and say, well, you're apostatizing, you're doing this. listen. All things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but they don't all edify. All things are lawful, but I won't be brought under the power of any. So let's look at a few things. And you can apply this to numerous different things. Listen, you can apply this to working out. You can apply this to not working out. You can apply this to fashion. You can apply this to so many different things. So let's look at it. Just a couple of quick quick questions. Number one, is it the best choice? Is it the best choice? Uh, Not expedient. Expedient means being the best choice. If, If I am going to do this. Is it the best choice for me? Now, when I'm talking about this, I'm talking from a biblical perspective. Uh, 1 Peter says, "Free as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. Cloak of maliciousness. What's a cloak of maliciousness? Well, tell you what, preacher, I kind of want to do what I want to do and I want everybody else to buzz off. But I can't say that in church. So I'm going to say, we're free in Christ, brother. Can I get a witness? Amen. That's a cloak of maliciousness. If your freedom is focused on you doing what you want to do, that is not the purpose of our liberty. The purpose of our liberty is by love to serve one another. A cloak of maliciousness, that means, hey, I've got nefarious reasons for doing what I want to do. It has nothing to do with the will of God. And so, so Peter says, don't use your freedom as a cloak of maliciousness. So, the first question is it the best choice? Is there a better choice? Now, for me, okay. Have, I, have, I have tasted alcohol. I have tasted it. Sometimes on purpose, when, back in the old days, when the cough syrups, which is another thing. You know, the cough syrups are starting to take alcohol out of it because so many people are abusing the cough syrups. We, in our culture, it's a huge problem. Okay? But I, I, have, I have tasted alcohol before. Sometimes not on purpose. There is no desire within me. I do not have that desire to want to taste more alcohol. And then when I learned what alcohol was, I had no desire to drink yeast urine. I just wasn't into it. That completely turned it off. I thought, I don't care how big the animal is, I don't want to drink its wee. This is me. Now you may be sitting out there going, oh, but if it pairs nicely with the salmon, go ahead, drink the wee if you want, not me. That completely has turned it off for me, okay? Is there a better choice? Yes. Mountain Dew. <laughs> Dr. Pepper. Cherry Coke. Cherry Coke Zero. Okay? There's lots of different things. So is, is it the best choice? Listen, here's the thing. Who am I going to offend if I drink a Dr. Pepper? Who am I going to cause to perhaps stumble if I drink a Mountain Dew? So there, there are better choices. There are best choices. So is it the best choice? Question number two. Is it helpful Physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. Is this helpful? Now, there may, and there are some folks who are convinced of the uses of certain types of alcohol. Here in the South, this is where I learned the wonderful whiskey, honey, and lemon. It's the first time in my life I went into a church member's house, and in their kitchen would be whiskey. And I thought, I didn't think we were... But it wasn't whiskey for drinking, it was whiskey for the cough. Or it was creamed to mince. And that whiskey and honey and lemon was used for you know, I'm like, I'll just go buy the NyQuil. And it's already mixed. Still tastes bad. Has its own little measuring cup. But there are some that have it. And they say, hey, this is the best thing. Okay. Okay. Is it helpful? Is it going to do it? Listen, there are other times, folks, when I have been so drugged, I actually passed out. I'm thankful for it. Because when they replaced my knees, I am glad for drugs. I'm glad that I wasn't laying there screaming while they were sawing the end of my legs off to attach a metal piece to put a knee in there? Was it beneficial to me physically? Yes. Am I recommending that you go home and knock yourself out with drugs? No. So so you have to, you have to be honest about it. Look at it. Okay. Am I using it as a cloak of maliciousness? Is it the best choice? Is it helpful physically? Question number three, does it have the potential to bring me under its power or has it brought me under its power? And I would seriously challenge with everything because there are some things that we get addicted to, whether it be Fox News, whether it be caffeine, whether it be this, that, or the other. There are numerous times, I know that I kid about drinking Coke Zero and different things like that, but there will be numerous times when I will just stop to make sure that it hasn't gotten any power over me. The only power that I can tell that Coke Zero still has over me is that I cannot eat pizza and drink water. That seems like a sin. <laughs> Gotta have some type of carbonated beverage. Okay? That, that, I mean, sweet tea and pizza. No. Okay? And there are some folks that say, you, and I love here in the South, where they say, you shouldn't drink soda, it's got too much sugar. Have y'all seen how you make your tea? <laughs> okay? <laughs> I've seen people boil sugar down and serve it. And they wants want some sweet tea, oh, needs a little bit more sugar. Yeah, unbelievable, okay? But does it have the power? And listen, here, here's the thing, and I would, I would honestly challenge you in all the different areas. Is there something that has brought me under its power? Some of you just need to put Instagram away, You need to put all your social media away, not because social media is a sin, but because it has brought you under its power. Some of you cannot tell yourself when to stop scrolling. Some of you go, I don't have any social media. Well, you're the ones that get on YouTube and end up watching cats play the piano because you can't stop either. (laughs) And you've got to learn, listen, this has me under its power. I've got to stop. Listen, I've got televisions in my house. I've I've got two televisions up here. Teenagers televisions are things we used to have in our house that was the only way we could watch entertainment. Now we can watch it with this stuff. I'm not saying get rid of this, but some of you may be so addicted to this, you may need to put it away just to make sure that you're not brought under its power. That it's not what drives you. That it's not what wakes you up in the morning. That it's not what gets you going. It happens. It's it's happened to me numerous times. There have been numerous times I've had to stop. I've had to take things off my iPad. Take things because different things will grab my attention. I won't be brought under the power of anything. So, uh, does it bring me under its power? Uh, Next question does it potentially hurt others? One of the main reasons why we have taken the strong and the very cautious stance of complete and total abstinence is what alcohol has done to our community and what alcohol has done to some of our church members. It has been destructive. It has killed Now, I'm not going to judge and castigate somebody that that has whiskey, honey, and lemon in there, anything like that, but as a church, we're never going to serve alcohol. We're never going to say alcohol is okay because there are folks who have struggled with alcohol. There are people in here who have struggled with alcohol. We do not want to place a stumbling block before them. And the potentiality of alcohol, of being, listen, there are some folks, I, I hope, honestly, I hope all of my children never discover whether or not if they are easily addicted to alcohol. I truly, I, truly, I truly hope that. And I don't think they're going to miss out. I don't think they're going to go through life not having lived it to its fullest by not discovering that they could easily be addicted to it. And so we, we want to make sure, hey, could it potentially hurt others? Galatians 5.13 says, brethren, you've been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Paul says, we've been given liberty, but don't use it to serve yourself. Use it to serve others. Use it to minister to others. Listen, there was a time, I know that I thought if you were even around it, it should be sinful, this, that, and the other. Folks, there are a lot of times that witnessing opportunities may happen in a situation where there might be some type of sin that is around. That's going to happen at times. I don't think we need to sequester ourselves off and drag them over to be with us. I think we, we need to be a, a light all the time. One of our missionaries, I've said this before, Ram Ribeiro is saved because a Baptist missionary was willing to walk into a bar and witness to a bartender. Now some of you ought not ever do that because of the struggles that you have. But others of you need to realize and understand you've got to listen to the Holy Spirit, not listen to... Whatever Christian thinking that says, well, nothing good can ever happen in a bar. I can tell you at one time something good happened in one bar in Brazil to something good because Ram and his daddy both got saved. So we have to understand, listen, the the choices we make are by love to serve one another, to minister. So the question is, again, reviewing it. We're just about done. Is it the best choice? Is it helpful? Either physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. Uh, does it have the potential to bring me on its power? Does it potential, have the potential to hurt others? And then the last one, does it glorify God? Does it glorify God? The Real quick, now we could preach a series of messages on glorifying God. But let me encourage you. If you have not studied from God's word what it means to glorify God, be very careful in saying that what you do glorifies God. Because the Bible is very, very, very specific. Now just really quickly encapsulated, it gives the right picture of God. It gives the right picture of God. It makes other people look at you and get the right picture of who your God is. So it gives the right picture of God and it gives all the attention to him. Now that's not a long study, that's just a quick thing. And so as you're looking, whether it's Xbox, whether it's alcohol, whether it's cigarettes, whether it's marijuana, whether it's pain pills, whatever it is, but different things that come along, the things on your phone, the things on your screens, all the different things that you're getting involved in, entertainment, all of this stuff. If you will simply say, okay, all things are lawful. It's not a sin, but is this going to be the best? Is this going to be the best for me to glorify God? Is this going to edify? Is this going to give me opportunities to build myself, to build others up? Will it, will it build me up spiritually? Is this going to have the potential of, of taking over and, and dominating me? Is this going to be a, a situation that will be a weight that will that will need to be set to side, like Hebrews 12 talks about, or is it going to be something that I can participate in that doesn't have that in? So does it, does it, does it have the potential to physically harm me, to mentally harm me, to socially or emotionally? Are the different things that I'm getting involved in, are they going And listen, that's going to be different for different people. Some people can, we'll just use social media. Some people can use social media and never get addicted to it. Some of us probably ought to never, ever sign on again because of who we are, because of the particular besetting sins that we have, okay? Some of us just need, and we need, instead of looking around universally, we need to learn how to stand before the Lord and say, okay, God, what does it for me?" mean? Now, and serious, seriously, don't walk out of here and go, hmm, examine your life, God. Look at, the, look at the way that you live your life. Go through these questions. Is it best? Is it helpful? Does it bring men in its power? Does it potentially hurt others? Can it, does it glorify God? Walk through that. Ask yourself, okay, what, what's the best thing here? What's the situation? Does it have the potential of hurting my children? Does it have the potential of hurting my husband, of hurting my wife? Is this best for edifying uh, the church of God? And use your liberty as an opportunity to serve, not as an opportunity to do something that the flesh desires. And if, and if you will learn how to—it is, it is very cumbersome in the beginning to go through these questions— but the different things that come down the pipe, because who knows what technology is going to come up with? Who knows? Okay? There was a time I, I never preached on social media. I didn't think, I never, I didn't even think about social media. Who knows what we're going to be talking about 10 years from now? But these questions, these timeless questions taken right from 1 Corinthians and from Peter and from Galatians, if you'll walk through these, these will help you ponder the path of your feet. Let's stand. We'll have a word of prayer. Do we have any meetings tonight that I did not hear about? I don't see anybody waving a hand for anything. All right, let's have a word of prayer and then we will commence to begin to go. Lord, thank you for meeting with us. Teach us truth from your word. Help us to be bold in our stance and loving in our stance. Lord, I pray that if there is somebody here who is under the power of something, Lord, as they look to you, Lord, may they not look to themselves to escape the power. Lord, may they live their life by grace, through faith, enjoy more of you, and enjoy victory over that thing. Lord, keep us focused on you as we walk the path you've laid before us. We love you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.